Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be feeling perfect peace. Let's begin today in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, beginning in the 22nd verse, it says, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Verse 27 told us, Peace I weave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. When not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This verse is one of the greatest promises that the Lord has given us. The Lord has promised us peace, but yet so many Christians today don't experience peace. They don't feel like they have it. They've heard about it, they know about it, but they're not actually sure if they have it. When we feel like we don't have peace, we may not openly admit that we feel that way, but nevertheless, when we look at our life, we can't seem to find it. This isn't because we don't want it. Of course we would. Why wouldn't we? Nobody wants to live confused, anxious, worried, fearful lives, but yet so many do. Why is peace missing from so many of the hearts of God's people? What is it that's preventing peace from being experienced? The first part of the verse that we need to look at is the phrase, not as the world giveth. This is an important phrase because it implies that the world is giving something that they're claiming is peace. The devil and those in the world are offering this counterfeit in place of the real thing, which they're unable to supply. What exactly is this counterfeit? It's not something that's easily definable, and that's why the world doesn't even try to define it themselves. They don't even have their own terminology for it. This is a blatant deception. What the enemy is offering is a strange mixture of contentment and happiness and maybe a mixture of a feeling of safety and security with some quiet and restfulness. If a person isn't really sure what peace actually is or what it looks like in its true form, this can be easily mistaken for peace, which leads people to think that they have something that they actually don't. This leads to a person over time, when they really need peace but their counterfeit peace fails them, getting angry with God thinking that the peace that he's talking about is what they can't find anymore, when really what God is talking about is something they never had at all. In a person's mind, this drives a wedge between them and God. It can weaken their relationship with him because now they feel that they've been wronged and God misled them. This is why the devil uses this method. He wants that wedge to be there. He wants people to think that they look for peace from God and God let them down because that puts a person exactly in the place where he wants them a place where he can manipulate their minds and hearts that are still in a place of confusion, perplexity, and restlessness because these are some of his most potent weapons. Peace neutralizes these weapons, so of course he wants to do whatever he can to keep your life free from peace. We don't want to live lives of confusion and anxiety and fearfulness, so what do we do? How do we avoid these lies and deceptions of the enemy? This brings us back to the phrase, not as the world giveth. Many people, and many Christians especially, are looking to the wrong place for their peace. The confusion that they're feeling and experiencing in their life, in some cases, leads them to confuse the source. 
They start looking outwardly for it. They're looking to their circumstances, to other people, to world events, to their bank account, or the state of their family to find peace. The counterfeit peace is directly based off of these things. It's not much different than happiness. It's there when everything's going well, but disappears when things take a turn for the worse. But is that peace? Even those in the world who adhere to this false peace intuitively know that it's not what real peace claims to be. But it's all they know, so they go along with it, not questioning it. We're not going to find peace outwardly, and the further we wander into the spiritual wilderness of the world to find it, the further we get away from the real source. Why can't we find peace outwardly, though? What is it about what's there that prevents peace from also being there? The issue with the outward is change. We live in a world that's defined by constant change. Circumstances change. People change. Family and friends come and go. Employment changes. Everything is a constant push and pull. Everything is a constant coming and going. And peace can't exist in a place like that. Because there's nothing constant about it. There's nothing unchanging about it. There's no steady, firm foundation. Everything is liquid. Everything is subject to shaking and rearrangement. Everything is liable to change at any given moment. Peace can't be found in those conditions, because that's antithetical to all that peace is, and all that it represents. And it's no wonder that with a world like that, when people go to the world to find answers, that they find those same issues then plaguing their life. It's affliction by immersion. If we're immersed in an environment with conditions like these, when no safeguard or means of resistance against their dangerous and poisonous effects, we'll find those same conditions evident in our life. It will always happen. That's definite. But we're not without a safeguard. We're not without a means of resistance, and we're not without a refuge. We have all this and more, but the problem is that Christians don't use what they have. We don't want that to be us. We want real peace, the type that Jesus said in verse 27, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. He makes a clear distinction in this verse, not as the world giveth. This isn't the same thing that the world calls peace. It's not an inversion of it. It's not a twisting of it. It's not the same thing at all. It's totally separate. So where do we find this real peace, and how do we get it? The answer is the opposite of looking outward. We have to look inward. As we go through our daily life and deal with all different types of situations and people that try to steal our peace, it's easy to forget that we have the God of all heaven and earth indwelling us right now. When we're staring at an overdue bill on the table, or an overdrafted bank account, or a family that's starting to fall apart at the seams, or a boss that no matter what we do, we can't seem to please, our last thought is the God dwelling within us. We're consumed by what we see in front of us in the natural. We're consumed by the thoughts of what all these things are going to lead to. The conditions would lead you to think that the obstacles are insurmountable. What if there is no way in the natural to overcome them? How could we possibly have peace? Peter can teach us an important lesson about this. When Jesus asked him to walk on the water, to come out to him standing in the sea, Peter did well in stepping out of the boat and starting to walk. But then he made a great mistake. He started looking to outward conditions. Matthew 14, 29 says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Peter looked on what he could see and feel. He felt the wind whipping around him. He saw the waves getting higher and higher. He relied on what he could sense in the natural instead of focusing on the Lord right in front of him. This was the same God who he himself previously saw calm the storm. Mark 4 and 39 says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. If he could do that before, why couldn't he do it again? He could definitely have done it again. But Peter was missing the point. He was looking at the circumstances, at the environment he was in. He saw the change, the upheaval. He saw the disorder and the chaos. And he let those things steal his peace. The peace that was trying to tell him that everything was going to be okay. 
The same way there was a storm in the natural, there was a storm in his life. The same way that many of us have a storm raging in our hearts right now, and our peace gets lost somewhere behind the wind and the waves. Peter needed to hear the same words that the storm heard. Peace be still. If he had kept looking at Jesus, he wouldn't have began to sink, but he looked away. This is what we do too. We lose peace when we look away from God. We have to look inwardly. The God who has promised us peace, the God who left us peace, the God who is the Prince of Peace, and the God who is peace personified is within us right now. So why would we go anywhere else to find it? That doesn't make any sense. It's like when you're looking for something for a long time and then find it in an obvious place. We always say that it was hiding right under our nose. And that's what it's like with this. We all want peace, but we feel like we can't find it when really it's been within us the entire time. So if peace is within us because God is within us, why don't we always feel that peace? Why isn't it automatic? Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 23 tell us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Like we've spoken about before concerning some of the other fruits, no fruit ever starts out as a fully grown, ripe fruit. That's not the way that the world works. They start as seeds. And then as they're cultivated and grow, they thrive and flourish within a person's life, just like a fruit in the natural wood. But if they're not attended to, they either stay just an unutilized, uncared-for seed, or they become an incredibly weaker, undernourished, and undervalued version of what they could have and should have been. The problem isn't that people don't have peace. We all do. But do we cultivate peace? Do we create the right environment for it to grow? Do we create the right conditions? Maybe instead of constantly being worried about the environment and conditions around us, we should be worried about the environment and conditions of our heart. If we were and did something about it, we could have peace. But if we, like Peter, refuse to look inwardly, if we refuse to take an honest, hard look in our heart, if we never take stock of the situation, then the situation will never change. And we can't be mad at God for our lack of peace when the peace that he gave us sits there untouched and unutilized. So how do we cultivate peace? What exactly goes into that? Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, beginning in the 25th verse, it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Before we can look at the cultivating of peace, we had to properly diagnose the effects of the lack of peace because those effects directly impact our daily life. We can learn something from Peter's experience again. Verse 26 tells us, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. We find here trouble and fear, the same things we saw earlier in John chapter 14. The second half of John 14, 27 told us, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 1 of that chapter also says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The two key elements here are troubled and afraid. These are the effects in a Christian's life when they haven't cultivated peace and look away from Jesus. We need to look at both of these individually. The first is troubled. In all three of these verses, we find the same Greek word used for troubled. The concordance says that it means to put in motion, 
to agitate back and forth, to shake to and fro, to set in motion what needs to remain still and at ease, to trouble and agitate, causing inner perplexity, emotional agitation from getting too stirred up inside and upset. It also says to cause one inward commotion, take away his calmness of mind, to disturb his equanimity, to disquiet, make restless. This troubling comes from what's without, influencing what's within. It's all that change and upheaval coming into the mind and heart, starting to wreak havoc in the life. The inward is where we should find peace. It's an issue when we find trouble in its place. The other element is afraid or fear. The word fear in Matthew means in the Greek, withdrawing from the Lord and his will, to separate from, to flee and remove oneself, and hence to avoid because of dread. That's exactly what Peter was doing. The Lord told him to come to him. That was his will. But he withdrew because of fear. He didn't close the gap between him and the Lord. He maintained the separation of distance. The word for afraid in John is even more telling. It's the only place in scripture where this specific word is used. It means to be cowardly, to shrink, to be fearful, to be timid. The concordance also says it means living in dread and paralyzing fear of consequences. This is what lack of peace does to people. The reason why we find so many timid, fearful, cowardly Christians not willing to stand up for truth, not willing to do what has to be done in the moment, is because they don't have an underlying peace that drives them forward. What they see and feel in the natural stops them from acting. Maybe they feel like they can't do something. Maybe they feel inadequate. Maybe they think if they did something, it wouldn't be good enough. These are lies, and they're mental hurdles, which the devil is all too quick to capitalize on and use to rob you of your peace. Peace can't coexist with worry and anxiety. If we're worried about consequences and reactions, we'll never have the peace that we're looking for. We don't want this to be us. We don't want to be troubled and live cowardly, fearful, timid lives. So how do we overcome these effects? This brings us back to our first question. How do we cultivate our peace? These questions had the same answer, and we find it again in verse 27. The second half of the verse said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The key word that we're looking at now is let. That's a small word, but it's critical to the meaning. Let is a verb. It's an action, which just by nature of what it is, means that it's derived from a decision. It's a decision that results in a decisive action being taken. The action is letting not. But what's the decision behind it? What decision allows us to not let what we see and feel in the natural trouble us and make us afraid? We find the answer in Isaiah 26 and 3, which says, That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Perfect peace, that's what we all want. That's the peace that only the Lord can give. We find this also in the Amplified Version of John 14 and 27. It says, Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. The answer is that we have to decide to trust in the Lord. Peace is predicated on trust. We need to trust in order to get peace. And we need to keep our minds stayed on the Lord. These were the same areas where Peter failed when he was on the water. He wasn't trusting God, and he wasn't keeping his mind stayed on him. He withdrew. He shrunk in the moment, and the result was that he began to sink. In Matthew 14 and 31, after Peter had called on the Lord to save him, it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The Lord rescued him, and when we feel like we don't have peace, when we feel like we're sinking into debt, into despair, sinking into depression or doubt or anything else, Jesus is right there, ready to reach out and to save us. 
All we need to do is to go back to him. We need to look to him and we need to call on his name. We need to trust. Trust is based on experience. It's not like love. It's not something that we blindly or unconditionally give. It's something that has to be earned over the course of time. So why do we trust the Lord? We trust him because he's the exact opposite of what's wrong with the world. Isaiah 26 and 4 says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. The Lord is everlasting. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never leaves, and he never forsakes. The same way that he's worked in the past is the same way that he's working right now, and the same way that he'll work forevermore. This is why we're free to trust in him. We've seen what he's done, and we know that if he can calm the storm in the natural, that he can calm the storm in our heart. And we know that if he can reach out and save Peter from drowning in the sea, he can reach out and save us from drowning in our problems. It's his unchanging nature that makes trust not only reasonable, but unavoidable. How could we not trust in him? There's nothing in him, nothing in his character or his past that would even give us a reason to not trust. We have to trust. And then when we do, we'll receive the peace that comes from knowing that God is with us for whatever we go through. He climbs the mountains with us, and he walks through the valleys with us, holding our hand all the way through. True peace, perfect peace, is just like the God who is himself peace. It's unchanging. It's unconditional. It's blind to circumstances. It's eternal. And once we have it actively operating in our life, it can't be taken away unless we let it, which is the exact thing that the Lord warns us against. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't let the enemy or the world take the peace that rightfully belongs to you. When we trust in Him, we're free to keep our minds stayed on Him, because we know that no matter what we see or feel in the natural, we have a God that's greater. We'll be assured that greater is He that's within us than He that's in the world. Our problems may look greater, our feelings may feel greater, the devil may seem greater, but they're absolutely not. And when we don't shrink from making the decision, the problems will shrink instead. The problems and peace won't coexist. Of necessity, one will yield to the other. And if we stand our ground, being courageous, trusting in the Lord, and keeping our minds stayed on Him, peace will win out, and we'll have and enjoy all the benefits of perfect peace in our life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your perfect peace. We thank you that the peace that you give us isn't like that that the world offers. That's not that type of peace that's here today and gone tomorrow, but that it's true peace, peace that's eternal and unchanging, that it serves as a firm foundation for our life. And Lord, we thank you that not only is our peace like that, but that you're like that, that you're a friend through the thick and thin, that you stay with us through all the ups and downs of life, through all its ins and outs, and that you never leave and never forsake us. And Lord, today we claim that promise in faith. And Lord, we thank you that you're going to grant us the wisdom and strength to cultivate our peace in the right way so that it can grow and thrive in our life and bear fruit that will go on to produce fruit that will bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we thank you that our peace isn't based on the conditions of the world around us and isn't based on the conditions of our life right now, but that it's found solely in you and only in you. Lord, we thank you that we're not going to make the same mistake that Peter made that we're not going to look at the wind and the waves around us, but we're going to keep our focus and our attention on you. And Lord, we thank you that we're going to have the wisdom to trust in you and keep our minds stayed on you. And we thank you that when we do so, that you're going to bless us with the peace that you've promised us in your word. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to feel perfect peace, 
and have Jesus as a part of your life today. All you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.